and welcome to Cascades, the blanket edition, because I'm wearing a blankie because it's cold. Uh, this is a podcast for whiskey, about whiskey. I'm Luke. This is Jordan. Hey. And this episode is a two-parter. That's right, folks. There's not just one part. There's two parts. That means unos dos. Two parts. So this is part... This is part three. Ooh. Ooh. No, actually we're part one. Uh, I think no one can really know. So, welcome to Cascades. Take it away. Yep, so this is Cascades. This is part one of our two-part mini-series. <laughs> <laughs> mini-series. Wow. Well, Netflix is doing mini-series all the time. I thought, why shouldn't we? A podcast within a podcast. Right? Podcastception. I don't know what we're on about, but I just saw crime in caps locks. I'm like, the crime episode. <laughs> yeah. So basically, as you've just read ahead, this episode is, um, well, let's do the full goof. We've had a lot of laughs making this podcast so far, and some of them even make it into the episodes. But today I want to talk about something that's not funny. Crime. <laughs> Unless you're the Joker, in which case crime keeps on laughing. I mean, to be fair, some of the some of the crimes are pretty funny to to listen to, actually. No, I thought we'd talk a lot more about kind of some of the bandit whiskey, whiskey committing crimes. Ooh, the underground of bottled whiskey crime, but the whiskey is committing the crime. There's a new sheriff in town. Looks like it's the Cask Whisperer. Oh, goody, he made it back. I thought he might in this episode, funnily enough. Well, it's because you keep editing it out that I'm not willing to... Actually, we've never discussed this. Does the Cask Whisperer have a gender? Um, the Cask Whisperer transcends gender. It's a, a an unconforming shadow in the dark. Honestly, we don't even know if the Cask Whisperer is human. Just a trench coat and a hat, my friends. <laughs> and a cask. No, I mean, as we've mentioned before in the world of whiskey, it has its fair share of criminals, and a lot of the time these tales are told with a bit of tongue-in-cheek respect for the colourful characters of the past. Uh, sometimes it was the uh, creative ways that people kind of, kind of in the distilleries would siphon off some of the spirits, as we've mentioned before, the whole... That like, was a good one, yeah. Drilling the holes in the back of the um, pipes and things where you couldn't see them. Uh, any, anything to kind of get past the uh, on-site excise officer was always uh, the, the yeah, aim of the game, and they came up with several ingenious ways. It's also worth noting that one of the one of the ways that when they're testing um, like barrel contents and things, they will use this special um, this special tool, which basically siphons off a, a section, which they can then pour out into their glass. The tool is actually called a whiskey thief, named from the illicit way that it was developed. Kind of like when you get maple from maple trees. I don't know. I've I've never got maple from maple trees. When you get like water from a cactus, or water from a tree. No, you just knock a thing into it. Our water comes from tea trees, is that what you're saying? No. But you do the like... plumbing, each, every house's plumbing is actually just like tapped up to a tree. Yeah, I'm pretty sure to get... Well, yeah, in an ideal world, we all have a water tree in our lives. Ours would be called Franklin. I've given it a lot of thought in these last few We already seconds. started naming trees in the last episode. All trees deserve names. I'm going to start a movement. And basically this tool, what they do is, like I say, they, they dip it in and then you can create a negative pressure effectively and you can bring out this this liquid. And this was actually something that was kept in the industry, but it was developed by people who were trying to find a way to siphon whiskey out of barrels as it was maturing. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, when you're siphoning stuff through a pipe, 
not petrol. When you're siphoning, I just think when this guy like siphoning whiskey and just like should be through the pipe now. It's like, yep, not quite there yet. Just drinking like an entire barrel. Like, huh? Didn't make it through. <laughs> Must have gone somewhere else. <laughs> Must be a leak in the pipe. <laughs> so, like I said, there's these over the years. There's been these certainly multitude of different ways they've tried to get spirit uh, without the excise officer knowing um i mean there's also been smuggling and uh, illicit stills which we'll get to later on but there's a romance to it almost the everyday person pulling on over the government who for some strange reason feel like alcohol and tax need to go hand in hand with well just about anything fun that seems to go with tax chocolate chocolate yeah life i don't think there's a life tax yeah we pay taxes on literally everything but not breathing. Like they don't tax you for your air yet. That's next dystopian year. <laughs> no, that's uh, Musk's Mars tax. <laughs> you want to breathe oxygen? <laughs> there is, you know, servitude. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to talk about some of these puckish rogues. Sorry, I need to make sure I say puckish correctly. Some methods over the years, and why ultimately it's actually a good thing that it's a lot harder to pull a fast one these days. Um, because it's all fun and games until someone wakes up blind, and that's if they are lucky. Crime and whiskey go hand in hand. And unfortunately, although in one hand you have the funny side of things, there are also the dangerous... On the other hand, you have crime. On the other hand, you also have dangerous and often fatal results of other criminal enterprises and whiskey making. I thought we'd start off with kind of like a little bit of a funnier note first off because it's 2021 and maybe we want a bit of a positivity start. Positivity, it's not just a drink. (laughs) Now, when we talk about smuggling alcohol and illegal distilling, I think most of us are guilty of kind of being drawn to that period of prohibition. You know, when, when, you, when you're thinking of it, really, you... No, I think of cowboys. They could. They just mosey on down to the saloon and get a couple of glasses of the best rock gut off the top shelf. That top shelf rock gut. That, t- that good, good rock gut. Mm-hmm. Wait, gut rot? That good, good stuff anyway. Yeah, it, and I think, like I say, just about all of us, you kind of naturally drawn to that prohibition kind of era. No. Um, which we talked about, actually, in episode eight. Well, I, I did the research and looked back and it was episode eight. Prohibition. Oh, no ambition. I think that's the episode title because I was about to make that exact yeah. same joke. But it's actually been going on a long, long time. Um, pretty much as long as whiskey's been distilled. Weirdly, uh, the first the first proof is a cave drawing of a dinosaur <laughs> stealing whiskey from another dinosaur. It's just like... There's a stegosaurus and he's got the barrels between the plates on his back oh. and he's really like a runner and there's this tyrannosaurus shaking a little arm like, oh, I'll get you, you little strapscallion. I would have gotten away with it too <laughs> if it wasn't for you meddling diplodocus and that damn dog. Or is it diplodocus? I heard someone say Diplodocus the other day. I hate I it. Like, I hate it. Mm-hmm. I almost died. The Apatosaurus, maybe? The Mosasaurus. What's that really cool one? What's a really fun one? Not the neck flares, but the one that has a really fun name. Gallimimus? <sighs> Do you think he saw us? Do you think he saw us, Rex? Triceratops? That's the one. The three horn. You <laughs> said the three horn off no, four I'm times. No, I kind of what it is, but we're not going to go through Pachy you. Pachycephalosaurus? Oh, that could be. I don't know. That's the headbutt one. Nah. What's the neck flare called? Archaeopteryx. You and this Archaeopteryx. <laughs> um, the, 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 the one that in Jurassic Park where yeah, it takes out um, Dennis Nidri. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a, a Dilaposaurus. Dilaposaurus. I think there is a really cool dinosaur in Jurassic World. 
There's lots of cool dinosaurs in I Jurassic World. I think it's in one of the little dinosaur prisons. They went to dinosaur A little dinosaur jail. prison? I'm sorry, you didn't know Mexico had a president, but you know every dinosaur. <laughs> I don't know every dinosaur, but like if I was to start listing them off properly. Let's just continue. I like me a good dinosaur. <laughs> and I like to know world facts. Dinosaurs are world facts. Actually, no one was around to know that they existed. Oh my God, where were we? Uh, now, apparently the first taxes applied to Scotch whiskey were introduced in 1644. So a while ago. That's like more than three years. Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, because three years you know, ago would be like uh, 1812, right? I'd say more than seven years. <sighs> more than seven? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, that's right. I'm pushing the boat out. Uh, yeah, so the first taxes were apparently introduced uh, in 1644 by the Scottish government. Now, the theory behind taxes is you bring revenue in. Uh, I mean, it turned out whiskey was becoming a very increasingly popular drink, so it made sense. Hey, let's tax this, and then all the citizens who want this increasingly popular drink are going to be giving us money. That's a great idea. However, and I have to point out, this pattern is something that seems to happen almost always whenever um, the, the early days of taxation and spirit comes into place in a country uh, in the past, certainly not in modern-day times. But I was going to say, Coca-Cola sure as hell doesn't pay taxes. <laughs> no, we're, when it comes to whiskey and taxes, there's a pattern. In, in most countries in, in the early days, when you increase the tax, uh, this often correlates with an increase in illicit distilling taking place. I support that. As more people kind of said, like, hey, why should we have to pay tax on something when we could just distill in secret? Maybe we'll go down there. (laughs) The early pre pirating Photoshop. (laughs) Ah, yes, the Scottish Highlands, the very first Pirate Bay. (laughs) Who am I kidding? It's so early, it was LimeWire. I was going to say, it was like (laughs) LimeWire. Oh, deep cut. And like I say, this wasn't just in Scotland, but when they increased this uh, idea of taxes on the spirit, particularly in in the far more kind of rural regions up in the highlands and things like that, where there weren't um, so many kind of customs officers and things, illicit distilling took place and it just kind of skyrocketed. Hey, I'm not getting into the politics of it. But you know what happened? This happened in a hero needed to arise. A hero with a duster and a wide-brimmed hat. No one could quite say for sure what they saw that day. But many saw something. The Cask Whisperer. (laughs) Back in the real world, by the 1820s. You need to pick up a history book, my friend. It's reported that as many as 14,000 illicit stills were kind of being confiscated every year. Which is phenomenal when you think about it. Because that's just the ones that they were finding. Sorry, wait, how many? 14,000. Jeez Louise. Now, I love how, like, I found these facts on the official Scotch Whiskey Association, the SWA's website, and it says as many as 14,000. Now, I don't know if that means that just one year, they suddenly leaped up. Like, you'd see this graph, and then it was just one year where it was like, Vroom! I like how it's like, they were <laughs> they were finding, like, five or something, and there was one year, it was like, they found 14,000. It's like, yeah, we can't really judge by that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's an anomaly and shouldn't be added to the chart. And they're like, well, if you got to find the average. <laughs> but like I say, and they're just the ones that were being seized so you you can only imagine how many illicit stills were really being kind of like used at that time well, this, one, this one guy is like oh yeah no it's the, uh, those 40 that's just stevie stills <laughs> we've tried to not add him into the census anymore but it is it's a phenomenal amount and so this kind of led to um in 1823, the Excise Act was passed. Now, it's worth mentioning that the main drive behind this was prompted by um, the Duke of Gordon, whose own lands were apparently used... Uh, in fact, there were still illicit stills on his own lands being used to produce some of the finest illegal whiskey in Scotland. Oh, so that, that whiskey, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so basically, this guy, like... 
I mean, and he wasn't the only one. Like I say, landowners, they well, they, they surely knew what was going on. In fact, um, kind of records of this whiskey being used in some ways to kind of pay for the land, you know, like pay rent and things. Like, oh, yeah, just take a couple of jugs of this. So I think, to be honest, the Duke of Gordon, he was kind of like, hey, I've got some pretty fine stuff on my lands. If we make this legal... I can start making some money. Some moolah. <laughs> some blood of moolah moolah. Mm. So he was a big driving force behind this, and the 1823 Excise Act was actually passed. Uh, the license made it commercially viable to legally distill whiskey in Scotland, and it ultimately helped to bring around the kind of end of illicit distilling it eventually. However, in those days, there was a lot of friction and distrust <laughs> um, between the legitimate competitors and those that kind of had been in the same boat just a few years ago. Yeah. That was a very cramped boat with those 14,000. <laughs> well, just one guy, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Goddamn Stevie. I mean, as we've said a lot during during these uh, episodes, whenever we talk about Scottish distilleries, for example... We talk about Scotland. We do. But often, like, for example, uh, they're like Glendronic, uh, which we reviewed earlier on, was um, that was founded in 1826. Now, the licence only came in in 1823. So... 1826 for a distillery license is fairly fairly early on in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> These distilleries coming out with like 10 year olds in 1826 like hey how did you uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well actually the aging process wasn't quite the same back then. They didn't like do it that like that way. Let um, me keep my <clears throat> jokes. But I know what you're coming towards because yes basically they were just illegally distilling up until the point when they got a license to make it legitimate. Some of the really big successful traditional old distilleries were just illicit distillers long before then and uh, a lot of them certainly cropped up on like farm sites I mean Glen Farkless Distillery is a wonderful space side whiskey and, and the family own it on a farm but like the only reason why there was a distillery on that farm was because of, it probably was set up illegally at some point, illicitly. Um, I mean, the the family bought this farm and there happened to be a distillery on there. Let's put it that way. That's- <laughs> oh my, what, well, who would have who would have thought that that was a di- Well, I am shocked. Well, there's no point getting rid of it now, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, yeah, the, uh, the recycling centre isn't open today. Let's just, <laughs> there's no point taking it down there. You know what they say, in for a farm, in for a distillery. <laughs> Illicit distilling was going on long before the licence and it was also continuing afterwards. There was certainly um there was this like i say this friction in the community there was also problems of things like for example one of the famous ones is glenlivet uh glenlivet distillery is the glenlivet however um and certainly some of them still can do it today i think you will notice there will be things like uh, such and such of glenlivet area and things like that a lot of distilleries were putting um Glenlivet on their labels so that it would be confused with the very highly respected Glenlivet, original Glenlivet, if you like. It's like in the really off-brand stuff. It's just like just one letter is like a little different. It's like it's got to be Glenlivet, right? So there was this big kind of appeal. Um, this kind of court case took place to decide what you could actually put on labels. Now, this is far later on kind of thing, but it was eventually decided that if you were... Because Glenlivet is named after the Glenlivet area, the distillery didn't really have the rights to just claim it, but distilleries who wanted to say they were of the Glenlivet area had to be within a certain distance. You couldn't just say... Anyone couldn't just say it because it had this knock-on effect, particularly if there was um, poor spirit being produced. It would give a bad reputation to the area, let's face it. Mm. And this is one of the big, big things we're coming back to a lot is this negative effect of the inferior whiskey and how it affects the industry as a whole. One of the other problems facing the illicit distillers, let's say, is let's say you've been in the Highlands you, you and you're up in the hills in a cave or whatever and you, you've been distilling your spirit 
Uh, and so far, the tax people, they want to catch you out and seize you still, but let's say they haven't. Let's say they haven't. <laughs> so you have all this spirit. Now, sure, there might be some locals you often uh, might be able to trade some with, but if you want to shift some more product and make a little bit more money, you're going to have to probably go to more populated areas, which is where the smuggling came in. You're trying to transport your goods, and obviously the um, the excise men, they're trying to catch you out because, hey, there's a loss of revenue for them, and they want the money. So they dressed up as excise men with their little tracksuits and their, like, footmans. <laughs> I know it's excise, but he really wanted to make the goop. Like bright spandex. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> like, we're undercover as excise men. So overt, it's covert. Right? <laughs> giant, like giant hula hoop filled with whiskey they're just spinning around them and so they needed to um, smuggle their spirit across the border to, towards the lowlands where it was more legal to sell it um, and include this kind of included famously the use of coffins for example oh you see, okay you get a coffin on a cart or whatever put some little barrels in there with your spirit and transport it with a body maybe it's just one of those glow in the dark skelly bones things uh, you see at Halloween yeah so if they open it they're like, yeah, they're like Ooh, it's just like on a spring loader then they yeah. just run away they're like oh because back then that would have been quite scary as opposed to just how you open the toilet these days <laughs> and the glow-in-the-dark skeleton launches out oh it's Tuesday <laughs> yeah that's why I'm scared to ever close the toilet lid because when it's sealed you don't know what's going on it's like Schrodinger's cat you know that could be a glow-in-the-dark skeleton waiting to jump at you at any one minute <laughs> at any one point <laughs> at any one point I'm worried a glow-in-the-dark skeleton is going to leap from the toilet <laughs> Obviously. And that'd be gross as well, because that's toilet water. Now, one of the other big problems that you had with whiskey um, is, uh, as it became increasingly popular in in, Scot- in Scotland, we've actually talked about it before, was the blending aspect. Yeah. Blending big, big business in, in whiskey in general, uh, particularly in Scotland, as I say, it's one of the big reasons why whiskey became so popular. Yeah, you can't use an immersion blender for that. You've got to get something heavy duty. When you blend, you effectively make a recipe, as I've said before. You're combining these ingredients. Um, in this case, the ingredients being whiskey. Just different barrels of whiskey that you are creating a blend, and you want consistency. <laughs> really, whiskey is like a uh, recipe. It's like okay, I need ninety grams of butter, hundred grams of flour. It's like okay, I need a whiskey, a whiskey, a whiskey. What's the ratios of the different distilleries and different styles of whiskey to create these flavors and the different cask finishes as well? Um, but yeah, basically, <coughs> now some people, and I'm not saying all of them, but some people who just wanted to kind of make some money quickly, they would buy um, or they would create cheap dangerous, quite frankly, poisonous alcohol, the, the wrong type of alcohol that you want to be using, and then they would kind of cut it with a little bit of maybe actual whiskey to create some flavour background. They would also add colouring to it and all sorts of flavours, and they would like try and sell it as a product. One part snake venom and just a splash of whiskey. That'll sell. Now, what I want to stress is this practice was not exclusive to Scotland. Uh, it certainly wasn't exclusive to Scotch whiskey, and I know for a fact it took place in America and Ireland as well. Thankfully, wherever this took place, the governing bodies and the governments kind of realised that to protect consumers and the industry itself, things needed to change and they had to stamp this practice out. Now, in America, for example, one such uh, um, one such example I know of is um, Pappy Van Winkle, who I know we've talked Pappy about. Pappy Van yeah, Winkle. Pappy, good old Pappy. The best name ever. He was actually brought in front of a court. He had to testify because a rival 
Uh, oh, can you imagine? I'm imagining him showing up with like just a silk, like light green or light pink suit and like one of those white hats. Oh, he's oh he's looking fabulous. No, no I don't think he looked like that. He looked very like tailored gentleman suit kind of look actually. Yeah, like a a silk one though. No, like, I don't he, think it was silk. He fancy. So, Pabby Van Winkle, he actually had to testify in court because there was um, damages to his property uh, by a rival at the time. <gasps> and in the hearing, he was actually asked to explain the difference between w- why his bourbon was so high quality versus just any old whiskey on the market. I thought that was going to... I don't know why. I thought it was going to be like, can you explain the difference between an Ascot and a cravat? <laughs> you probably could do that as well. Uh, and it was actually referring to rectifiers. Now, rectifiers... We've covered those. Probably have, actually. Yeah, we basically have. No, definitely. Like three times, because every time I ask. And... His quote, I actually found it was, most rectifiers were and are reputable wholesalers who brought whiskey from different distilleries or a selection of casks from just one. They then mingled it together uh, to arrive at a consistent product they could call their own. Could you do it in Pappy's accent? I can't. There were other rectifiers who wanted to make a quick buck any way they could. And these guys would take a small batch of straight whiskey, mix it with a large batch of neutral grain spirits, add some colouring and flavouring such as brown sugar and sell it. Um, And Pappy reportedly said that after drinking this concoction, you you were lucky if you didn't wake up the next morning dead or blind or at least with a major headache. It really was like dangerous, dangerous stuff. Whiskey. And like I say, it wasn't just America, it happened in Scotland, it happened in Ireland, um, probably happened in other countries as well, so probably England as well. And it was this this way of creating far inferior and frankly dangerous products and passing it off as something that people were really trying to have um, and trying to enjoy. And it, it was just, well, it was poison. Was our boy Pappy American? Pappy Van Winkle was American. Yeah, I've always been picturing him as American. I just wanted to make sure. To be fair, though, this also does come from a man whose motto was, we make fine bourbon at a profit if we can or at a loss if we must, but... Always fine bourbon. It's so charismatic. He's like the Jeff Goldblum of his time. And I'd like to imagine that the pauses where I put them is as he says it. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning, actually, um, before he actually started doing his story, he did work at a rectifiers. A more reputable rectifiers, I might add, but he got into the business um, as a salesman originally, actually. Now, Pappy and many others in the industry, they realised that these, um, like I say, these poisonous, dangerous kind of like uh, illegal products, they were harming the industry as a whole. They were bringing a bad name. And this, this practice needed to be stamped out. Unfortunately, it was. And laws got put in place to protect uh, the consumers, but also protect the industry. And this is something that happens in all the countries now. Um, it wasn't just um, in, in, it wasn't, certainly wasn't uh, instigated in America alone. Um, Scotland has, the SWA has lots of laws in place. And this is one of the things I'm trying to get through in these these next, that, this episode and the next one is a lot of the time the laws seem constrictive. Um, certainly a lot of the smaller craft production kind of distilleries, they often complain because they don't get the freedom that a lot of other countries do because they don't have to follow the SWA's uh, rules. You have to remember, these rules were put in place for a very good reason, to try and stop these dangerous products from happening and to protect the integrity of the uh, the, the industry in general, but also the, the whiskey, also to protect the consumer. So now I think we'll go on to the tasting section of the episode. Whoa, I didn't even know we were doing the tasting section. I kind of Oh, thought... sorry, uh, question time first, isn't it? Go Qu- on, five random facts you know. Okay, five random facts. A lot of dinosaur stuff we got covered in this episode. Five random facts. There was like 14,000... Illegal distilleries. Yeah, illicit stills. Sorry. Picked up in up to, they said. Up t- that could just be three. <laughs> That's like definitely hard to get your quote. Like, yeah, there's up to 14,000. Wow, you really found so many. Definitely up to 14,000. Oh, That's so many. It's like the 99p of the world. Uh, crime never pays. 
That's not really a fact. A lot of cast whispers slip out of cover, which I feel like you're not gonna allow me to say as a fact. They would tr- uh, smuggle it in coffins. Yep. Among other techniques as well, but that was one of the kind of famous ones. Um, skeletons hide in toilets. <laughs> not again, not a fact. <laughs> That's five. I think you got to two. Okay, give me a question. Help me a little bit. Give me a question. What year was the Exercise Act brought in? 1940. No, it was a six. It ended in a six. No, it didn't. Oh, ended in a three. Yeah, ended in a three. I'll give you that. Because Glendronic, Glendronic was founded in 1826. In That's two facts. It was 1823, by the way. I said it ended in a three. This isn't... I gave you 1826, and I said, and they were founded three years before. No, I didn't. I said six, and then you were like, no, and I was like, three. Yes, and then I said yes, and Glendronic was founded in 1826. Right, so, so I you got could have figured there. out 1823 English, from that. No one knows how years work. <laughs> Oh, um, dinosaurs. Uh, the Stegosaurus was the original one to. <laughs> oh, because it had the cask on the plate. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's definitely a fact, everyone. Um, you heard it here first. Um, Paleontologists and whiskey lovers alike know this to be true. They just don't want you to know about it. Yeah, big, big paleontologist. Yeah. <laughs> Another question, go on. Because I got one more fact. One more fact. Okay. Pappy Winkle started out as a rectifier. He worked for a company that were rectifiers. So I did all five facts. If they're not in, Jordan edited them out and they were all very accurate. Yeah, that's the truth. I actually did do five facts. In fact, you taught me a lot of things during that fact. <laughs> I think I taught you a lot, teach you a lot of things every time. <laughs> <laughs> Tasting. Bad. Oh, you're doing the Game of Thrones one. I thought, well, the thing is, we've already reviewed Open. Now, the pro- I really wanted some kind of like nice, I illicit. No, this was even open. Oh, yeah. You don't like Game of Thrones. No, but I like Open. I was looking through the list of whiskies and I wanted to get one that was kind of like tied into this whole illicit distilling, maybe, or um, smuggling. I mean, there's a few companies that, like, they can trace their background back to that kind of tide, like I said. And I went with Open Distillery in the end. Now, I know we reviewed Open 14 in the past, so I picked a different Open. In fact, Open 14 was the first one we reviewed in episode one. Open Distillery, a lot of checkered past, as I said before in episode one. Open is also known as the Little Bay Distillery, if you like, which is why they have a release called Little Bay. Uh, And it's all to do with the fact that it was a very the site was very rife with illicit distilling a lot of caves and, and, and things around the cliffs of Oban and things so you could get a lot of these kind of like little stills going off oh that's where Stevie's 14,000 of oh yeah in fact the, it's it's the lost cave of Stevie the the, the cave of wonders is just 14,000 stills do you think that 14,000 was actually like okay one two three oh let's count well, uh, it's just like it looks at a pile of them it's like yeah we'll call it 14,000 let's go let's go home so that's why I thought we'd go with Oban Distillery uh, I have picked the Oban Distillery Game of Thrones release, the Night's Watch Oban Bay Reserve. Uh, the Game of Thrones Distillery series was um, in, in partnership between, obviously, um, the makers of Game of Thrones, I presume, and um, Diageo. Now, Diageo, they, they did these special releases for some of their distilleries. I think there were eight in the official set originally, and then they released a new one later on, um, as well as a couple of special Johnny Walker editions. What if they weren't actually uh, in, like, League with Game of Thrones and just, like, no one asked? <laughs> yeah, like, everyone just assumes. Well, they did it, so it must be right. Um, and like I said, they were right in the official set. Now, I managed to get my hands on the open bottle, and I, I did get it more for the fact that it was open as opposed to the Game of Thrones thing, I won't lie. Now, the fact that it also is the best one of the set looking anyway, because it's the Night's Watch, which I got to admit of what I remember of Game of Thrones seem like the coolest people. I don't know what that smells of. It doesn't smell of sherry. I'd like that to be known. I don't... I have no idea what that smells like. It doesn't smell like sherry, though. Oh, well, that's just a colorblind night. Smells like whiskey. Black on black. Jesus. Please don't tilt the bottle like that. Why? I know, the I know what you're like. I know what you're like. How am I supposed to read it? 
Oban Night's Watch Edition. It's got a lovely a little bit of a sweetness on the nose, first of all. We should do the colour first, actually. It's quite a kind of dark, goldy, almost slight bronzy side to it. Picture whiskey. It's that colour. I mean, there's definitely a little bit of a citrusiness behind it. I mean, there's that typical Oban citrusiness that you get. I won't lie. But there's also a lovely sweetness to the start. A little bit of smokiness. Very faint, though. Nice bit of oak towards the back as well. Now, when you taste it, first off, I have to say, like, that, that sweetness really comes to the side of your mouth. It's, it's lovely. Really greets you. And it's, it's almost like a... Um, is like a little bit more on the kind of um, brown sugary sweetness of, of things. It then starts to give way. You get a, a nice kind of bit of a, an oaky spice builds, and certainly towards the finish, you're getting a little bit more of that drier side. Now, I won't like the finish is relatively short compared to the Open 14, I find. Um, I've done the research. It's still very open, but it's, it is different as well. It's a little... I think it's certainly a bit richer than Open 14. It's a bit sweeter than Open 14 as well, actually. A little bit of a honeyed side to it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful whiskey. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's bad whiskey. Um, there is no such thing as bad whiskey. Well... I thoroughly recommend it, actually. I'll... You recommend every whiskey. You're like, this is one of my favourite. This is one of my favourite whiskey. Jordan's favourite whiskeys are the list from zero to infinity. My, my list of favourite whiskeys is almost as long as my list of favourite dinosaurs. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but all of them are tied for first place. <laughs> T-Rex just pushes to the top. T-Rex gets, like, ultra mega A-plus <laughs> rating. It's like, like, they're all level, and then the T-Rex's little dinky arms are just on, and it's pushing it's it like... forward a little bit. It's like literally camera finishes just like the tip of the T-Rex's nose. So that's been the episode. I know, no, it's, your, I know it's your sign out. I know it's your sign out. But this is just part one of part two. So meet us in the next part. Part two, Casca Boogaloo. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We need cliffhanger. Oh, and then the Casca shows up. But wait, is that a little baby cask following him? What if the Cast Whisperer's child? What if Cast Whisperer walks into a, a, a warehouse or something, you know, like the whole traditional, like the door opens, lit by the silhouette. You see a silhouette rather lit from behind. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Every, the only way Cast Whisperer yeah, okay. opens place is by kicking the door down. The cost that people have to replace door that is so high. True. He's got a door little, insurance. He's, he's got the property. little baby cask with him. You know, like his cape's blowing dramatically in the wind. There's some kind of like nice, Wait, almost Western inspired music in the background. Does he wear a duster and a cape oh, to you? <laughs> I'm he's, here he's, for he's it. He's using it both. The screen goes blank. Everyone close your eyes. And then there's a gunshot in the background. <gasps> oh, you hear like, oh, you're finally here. And then there's a gunshot in the background. And that's where we'll cut off for episode two. So that's it, folks. You'll have to tune in next episode to find out what happened to the Cask Whisperer and his little baby cask. God, everyone's going to watch it just for the baby cask. They're not going really to really invested. Uh, so, yeah, this has been Caskets. Thank you for listening. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use. It really does help us, and more importantly, may lead others to listen to and discover the show. You can also visit our website or send us an email if you have any questions. The links are within the description <laughs> below. Apparently, that's how we say it now. <laughs> I say everything differently all the time. <laughs> it's giving it fresh. I'd also like to thank Adrian and Allison of the We Dram Whiskey Shop in Bakewell. They have a wonderful selection of whiskies and great advice. And um, although certainly getting uh, to visit shops at the moment is uh, getting difficult, unless it's a necessary trip or within range, although I'd say buying whiskey is a necessary trip. Um, they also have a website, which is wedram.co.uk. And as always, we'll leave you with this one editing goof. I definitely think there are some this time. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's it? <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Spinosaurus. No. Tyrannosaurus. No. Carnosaurus. No. Carnotaurus. I'm scared of clowns. I can't deal with Carnosaurus. <laughs> no, Carnotaurus. That's the one that has the horns on the side. Iguanodon. They're the ones with the cool little thumbs. The Aladar was an Iguanodon. Aladar. Oh, I made that joke. Pterodactyl. Baryonyx. Brachiosaurus. Mm, no. I don't think it's one of the common ones. A Sinoceratops. Ooh.